Hello everyone and welcome to the next edition of the VTX podcast. Here at the Veterinary Thought Exchange we like to start by asking what are you thinking? And this week we're going to be thinking about tortoises. Actually, we're not. Well, we are a little bit. Um, not not massive on the tortoises. Uh, this week we're talking to Jack Pye, who is a registered veterinary nurse, but actually has a lot of other hidden talents too. So just to introduce myself, my name is Scott. I'm one of the founders of VTX and I'm a specialist in small animal internal medicine. As always, I'm joined by my wee pal Karen, who's here to uh, keep me on track. Hello, Jack. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Um, I wondered if we could just start by maybe you um, telling everyone a little bit about yourself. um, And I suppose, uh, most importantly, um, how you um, started your vet nurse journey. Okay, so um, my name is Jack Pye and I qualified in 2018. Uh, It's quite a long process in qualifying. Mm -hmm. It was something I always knew that I wanted to do, but I don't know if it's the same all around the country, but trying to find a veterinary placement to support you throughout your training is actually quite difficult. Okay. Um, so it took me quite a few years to get to the point of actually settled into a practice to then start my training. So I was an animal nurse assistant first, mm-hmm. um, qualified through that, and then went to want to do my formal veterinary training. Um, once I completed that, it was like finding, it was like gold dust. Mm-hmm. Um nowhere around me had available sort of training placements they were already full mm-hmm. people were even doing them so they were working ridiculous amount of hours for no money and that mm-hmm. just wasn't feasible for me so it was it was quite difficult to get the foot in the door as mm-hmm. such um i then went on to do my extended diploma in animal management as a sort of a stopgap between trying to then find a veterinary placement i started that and i absolutely hated it Oh nice. Um, okay, honesty. <laughs> why was, why was it so ter- why was that so terrible? There was so there was vetness involved in it, but a lot of the subjects just didn't interest me in the slightest. Okay. Um so it wasn't necessarily just sort of vetnessing, there was all a whole host of stuff about how wolves evolved in the fifteen hundreds and all sorts of different stuff like this. And I was like, I don't need to know this. How so who, to do what I want how to do. who who evolved? Wolves. How wolves and stuff like that the evolution of wolves and stuff like oh, that over the years like so, how they became dogs is that a thing yes yeah okay. yeah yeah and then there was all stuff about behavior and and various sort of things that at that time didn't interest me as well because i knew what i wanted to do and i knew that i was there just to fill a gap really sure. did you always know that you wanted to be a vet nurse was that like a thing like one of these young childhood kind of wants or well initially i wanted to be a fireman when i was younger nice. i think most <laughs> Most young kids sort of probably have a little fireman thing. Firemen are cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cool, right? Always wanted a fire truck for Christmas. Um, never got one, so quite disappointed. Oh. <laughs> oh. We'll we'll buy you one as a thank you for being on the podcast. Um, actually, I I just off that off off topic. I the only TV show that I actually enjoy watching with my kids is Fireman Sam. It's actually brilliant, yeah. and I've actually. <laughs> I, I've watched it on my own when the kids are not there. <laughs> Just... <laughs> no, that's really, it's seriously that's true. That is seriously true. <laughs> that's another level. 
another level anyway sorry to interrupt you um, no no you're fine so yeah you so you you wanted to be a fireman but yeah. decided no. and i wanted to be an archaeologist at, as well because i quite liked fossils mm. and stuff like that as well growing up um and then i wanted to be a vet and then i saw how many years i had to go and do it at university which completely put me off yeah um <laughs> good, good choice <laughs> um and then when i actually done some work experience in the vets i was then set on being the vet nurse rather than the vet as well so this sort of reinforced that yeah so yeah once i'd done my animal nursing assistant done the stop gap do my animal management qualification and then halfway through that i then found a placement to start my vet nurse training so that was about mm-hmm. an hour away from home so i was like i don't care at that, at that moment in time i was like i'll travel if i need to and bits and pieces like that so started doing that um and I had to do on calls as well which was quite scary mm-hmm. from the offset having to do on calls but mm-hmm. I prefer to be chucked in the deep end I think I learn a bit better that way rather than sort of being eased into sort of learning it was sort of like you need to do this because there's no one else here to do it so um <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. You just have to yeah. so um <laughs> started that and then I found a job that was a lot closer to home so moved and then officially started my training in the September of that year so then three years later qualified but there was quite a few bumps in the road with exams and stuff um I did struggle throughout my exams so I'm more of a practical person anyway um so mm-hmm. my anatomy and physiology exam was my idea of hell um that I went through so I think I had all four attempts until I managed to pass it and had to come up with a whole range of different things to remember which bone is there and which muscle controls that. So a lot of acronyms. Yeah, and I think all the best people fail exams, honestly. I I, I took a few attempts at various ones that I did. So I think it's... it's and I failed my driving test four times. Five times, Karen? Four. Yeah. Uh, loads. I lost count. Loads. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it's totally fine. Um, and so did you, did you, you obviously had to go to um, a college periodically to do top bits in, yeah. in that kind of process? The college days were one day a week. Um, and that was, the first year was a Tuesday, then a Wednesday and a Thursday as we went through our years. Um, so yeah, that was just to do the external assignment, uh, external assignments and exams. Um, so mm-hmm. that was the main struggle really. And only having college one day a week and then your four days in the practice mm-hmm. whilst trying to learn what you're learning at work, but also your college work was a little bit mm-hmm. put on occasionally um, whilst trying to have yeah. a life as well. Um, Cause I still thought that I could do everything as normal and play bowls every night of the week and <laughs> everything like that. So. Oh, well we're coming back to the bowls. I'd forgotten about that. Um, <laughs> little, um, <laughs> little diamond. Um, so, well, it is, it's full on. And I think that's the, that's the part where people it, it's it's trying to do all of that um and then have a life and i think the the ha- the having a life bit is the yeah. uh, is the hard bit to kind of maintain i think you know and that's for me definitely yeah. the bit that people kind of struggle with and and because those things fall by the wayside and then suddenly you're left with oh yeah i just go to work and that's it <laughs> Yeah. So, and that's not a good way to be, is it? No. You now, you you're at the moment you're working purely night shifts. Yes. Yeah. Um. And so, have you worked nights since qualifying? Have you done that the whole time? So I qualified in August 2018, and then handed my notice in in September. So a few weeks after finding out I qualified, and then 
had a two-month notice period and started nights from there. But I started off doing twilight shifts, so they were finishing at 1am, mm-hmm. which were quite nice to be able to actually sleep uninterruptedly rather than with a phone next to you ringing. Um, so yeah, we're mm-hmm. a small animal hospital and cover about 28 practices out of hours now. Gosh, that's, is that it not... can get quite busy. Yeah. So, and, and do you not, do you find that you can, do you cope with the night shifts well? Because I think a lot of people, some people really can do it and other people just absolutely can't. Do you think? Yeah. I think with the balance of being able to, the amount that I work, because I work 12 times a month, which is quite a um, mm, nice good. thing to be able to say. When you can say that like that, it sounds a lot better than that I do night shifts. Yeah. Um, but I can cope quite well unless it gets to the point of there's a lot of things coming in all at once. Um, yeah. So it tends to quieten down when everyone goes to bed. So anyway, so it is usually quite manageable. Um, but I do prefer the emergency critical care side of things as well. Obviously starting my ECC certificate in the next week or so. You know you have to do exams for that. Did you? you know yeah, that? yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But hopefully I'm older and wiser now. <laughs> Yeah, well, well, we I talked about when we when Laura and I were chatting about exams and stuff. I I think being older and wiser is good. Um, yeah. But also, I mean, you're not that old, I'm sure. I, I, I but um, I I don't know. I definitely found maybe getting a bit older that that uh, remembering things <laughs> was actually harder. I don't know. I'm sure you'll be great. You're going to be great. You're going to smash it. Yeah. It's great. It's a really yeah. it's a really good thing to do. Um. So. Yeah one of the things that I find very inspiring about you is that you're a real kind of um, positive voice for the profession vet nurses particularly and so many of the vet nurses that we've spoken to I think are just amazingly positive um, quite inspiring people who particularly through social media um, are trying to um, uh, I suppose shout from the rooftops about vet nursing and, and what a great profession it is so you have this Instagram account which is um it's very obvious that you're a vet nurse and you you do a lot of promotion of that what was the reason that you started to to do that and, and why did you want to kind of put that message out there you see quite a lot of negativity on some of the social media sites that you go on so you can go to Facebook or Twitter or, or even Instagram sometimes so you can see the negativity that people give off of not being happy potentially where they are or not being happy in the profession mm-hmm. they're doing and I think we've all experienced that because I've been in a job where I've not been happy or it's not been right for me sort of how things are managed so but the only person who can change that is yourself so I changed I physically mm-hmm. looked to move somewhere else and find something that suited me in a team that I was happy with mm-hmm. so if you just sit there and moan about it nothing ever changes Mm-hmm. being in a team that supports you and be able to sort of progress you forward then I think that's worth shouting about usually and the other very annoying thing I get is when I walk into a room I'm instantly assumed as that I'm the vet walking into the room regardless of if I walk in with an, with someone else I just always assumed I'm the vet um, and then when you tell them that you're the nurse the second question followed is that when are you going to be a vet mm. and that's this I don't feel as if in the human world in terms of walking into a hospital speaking to a doctor and a nurse you wouldn't say to the nurse when are you going to be the doctor so mm. to be able to try and promote that male vet nurses also do exist and vet nursing is a job in itself and I guess it's sort of similar to um, a doctor and nurse in a the hospital they both work in harmony together you, you sort of the other need one another to do each other's job sort of thing or mm-hmm. well you can't work without each other really sort of 
it would be a mess otherwise anyway <laughs> no it, well it absolutely i mean it's so true it's interesting why do you think that why do you think that people immediately presume that you're the vet i think it's the stereotype of that nurses are female yeah. i think it's the old old thought process of that nurses are only only females so when you do tell them you're a male nurse they're like oh there's not many of them about is there and I think the worst thing I had was walking into the room and um, I got, they said, oh, there's not many male nurses about, are there? And I said, no, there's not too many. But I said, we are out there and, you know, it's gradually sort of increasing. Um, and she said, oh, when are you going to be a vet then? And I said, I'm not. And I said, that's not what I want to do. And they said, so they're two completely different jobs in themselves. And then it was followed by, oh, are you not smart enough to be a vet? Was the, the next question. And um I think I saw red and my blood boiled at that point. God, that's, so ins- oh dear. that's so insulting. I'm all for like educating people to like yeah. know what vet nurses do and what, what they are. But I think sometimes it gets yeah. to the point where it's like, I feel a bit insulted now almost. So my page being able well, to... Well, I mean, this is weird. Yeah. I just think, I, honestly, <laughs> my mind is blown that someone would even... Like, that's so rude anyway. Like, mm. it doesn't matter... You just don't say you just don't say things like that to people. That's so rude, and so and so yeah. I think that's um you know if if you're if you're being faced with that kind of stuff, then I can see absolutely why you'd want to kind of break some of those stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, and just being able to promote what we do on through social media, you're not then just reaching out to the veterinary community. You're then potentially going further to owners and just the general public, really, in terms of what we actually mm-hmm. do, and being able to show that it's it's not just pub cuddling puppies and kittens although that is on my instagram sometimes obviously because everyone needs a bit of that but um yeah yeah and actually being able to use your skills as well so it's not i think a lot of people feel like they're almost glorified cleaners as a vet nurse Mm, and that mm, all they do mm. is clean a kennel and things like that Mm. and vet nurse and again it isn't just putting an iv catheter in or it's not just any it's not just anything i guess um it's not like not just a veterinary nurse um it's quite Mm. a used phrase now um there's so much more and so many pathways to follow to expand it and it doesn't even have to only be in a clinical practice now either there's so many different branches that you can branch out into in terms of being able to educate others and it's quite nice when you get students come through as well and speaking to them because then you realize how much you know when you then teach someone else almost mm-hmm. that you're like oh i didn't even know that i knew that so <laughs> And then being able to make educational posts that you learn as well to then share the knowledge with everyone. One of the things I really like, you have a sort of particular interest in um, in ultrasound um, and you've done quite an, you know, sort of a number of posts kind of promoting that. And I thought that was a really um, inspiring thing because, again, you know, um, ultrasonography is really, you know, breaking that kind of stereotype that that's in some way a vet's job, you know, because... If you were to go to a human hospital yeah. and um, have an ultrasound, you would not, it would not be a doctor that was doing that procedure. It would be a very skilled yeah. ultrasonographer who was doing that. Um, and so I think it's, um, I just thought that yeah. was a really kind of a really nice way of, again, making, just making everyone's job more interesting by, um, you know, having people do things that they're able to do rather than just pigeonholing people into different jobs. Once I found out that I enjoyed it, so when I used to be in a room with the vet holding the animal in a dark room, mm. I'd nearly be falling asleep with, with the ultrasound machine. So it, it's honestly the last thing I thought I'd ever 
have a passion for and actually enjoy because I always used to sit there and I'd be like and I think because I didn't know what was on the screen or what was going on I was very much this is this is so boring it's just some black and white and some gray on the screen like why does anyone want to look at that um but since doing the course that I done last year and actually knowing what's going on and since working in ECC even more so because you you tend to see a lot more of the abnormalities that come up on the screen um but then also managing to realize what's normal as well is mm-hmm. quite handy so and that we can do it and we can take images or videos or clips and you don't have to we don't need to diagnose it all we have to do is find the different organs potentially and have images of those for the vet to come and look at if they need to the most of the time we use it is tends to be the triage sort of aspect of it is that if something comes in it's got pale mucous membranes um it's got a distended abdomen it's quicker for us to pop the probe on and say to the vet there's free fluid in this dog's abdomen we need to do something about it mm-hmm. a lot sooner if we've got a list full of patients waiting to be seen and it just fast tracks it and in turn that just helps in terms of the welfare of the animals that are waiting to be seen and it's such a quick and easy mm-hmm. underutilized tool i don't know how many ultrasound machines sit in the corner of a vet practice barely even touched to gather in dust and i think what what i get you know we get a lot of i'm, I'm not any skilled ultrasonographer at all but I get I have so many people um, when I sort of do advice calls and things that will have maybe done ultrasound and they'll always say, oh, the machine's rubbish or I'm rubbish. Like people are always very down on their ultrasound skills. And I always say to, pe- say to people, you do not need to be able to find an adrenal gland. That's not what this is about. It really, um, for the patients you're talking about particularly, we just need to be able to detect free fluid. That's basically it. Like, yeah. you know, don't, don't, don't stress about it beyond that. And when I think about it, you know, we, we bring patients in, we hand them over to the nurses. They'll, they'll get IV catheters put in, they'll get bloods done. They'll have an ECG, they'll get their blood pressure. And actually doing a, a, a point of care ultrasound should be part of that process. Yeah. That should just be as, as routine as putting an IV catheter in a sick patient. Um, and actually, and, and again, I think another thing that people forget to do, look at the abdomen, look for free fluid, but look at the chest as well. You can look for fluid yeah. within the thoracic cavity too. And it, again, that's really underutilized. The number of um, uh, pericardial effusions, for instance, that that we, we see that have been that yeah. they've missed that opportunity and it's a really again yeah. a really simple thing to do um, and so it's just changing your mindset I think but it's it's the same with a lot of things it you know we used to joke about the multi-parameter moment monitor gathering yeah. dust and the Doppler blood pressure gathering dust it's just about changing your kind of mindset yeah. with these things for yeah, sure and I think it'll get to the point where ultrasound is one of them daily utilized tools I guess as well I think it's get I think it's better yeah. than it used to be because I think Probably a few years ago, people just used to take an X-ray, and it was like it's fine. The diagnostic imaging is all done now, but I think you can just—it's so much more precise with a with an ultrasound machine. So yeah, no, I think it's yeah. great, and I think it's a it's a really good message to be getting out there. The other thing um, uh, that I have seen on your um, Instagram, a couple of other things that I wanted to ask you about. I I, I have to ask about the tortoises. So. You have this amazing, I mean, it's mind-blowing, like, tortoise world at your house. Um, I just, can you tell yeah. people a little bit about them and, and what, what they do? What do you do? There's hundreds of them. What's what's tortoise world? What's that? <laughs> oh, no, I've just caught that. It's just so, his house. 
<laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got my... Um, it all started when I was 10, actually. And I got my first tortoise when I was 10. And um, mm-hmm. since then, it's just gone a bit nuts. So there's about 34 now. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a lot. So... Right. Um, yeah, it became a bit of an obsession, really. Mm-hmm. And I got involved in a local sort of tortoise club, um, which I got absolutely ripped at at school, going to tortoise club. I don't know why. It's very cool. I can't, I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> that is the coolest thing I think I've ever if heard. you were a fireman, at the same time, you might, you might not have got ripped. Oh my God, that fireman's got tortoises. What? <laughs> Amazing. So, can no can you need to check out that some of them are the right. baby ones are are very cute. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Sorry, I'm getting too excited. Carry on. <laughs> Tell me more. So, yeah, the first one was when I was ten. I got another one the year after, and then it just went a bit crazy in terms of rehoming them, um, helping rehabilitate them as well. So when they're not very well, um, quite a lot of them have metabolic bone disease. It's easily avoidable and stuff like that. So, um, the husbandry of the care of them is the biggest thing. So given the ones that I've got quite a natural environment, it's quite nice. So they've got a large area in the garden. It's all um, landscaped, so it looks all natural for them. Nice. Yeah, it just turned into a bit of an obsession, really. And I really wanted to hatch my own at one point. So when that happened for the first time, probably about five or six years ago. And then since that, every year I get eggs and they hatch. And it's so nice to see the little tiny ones that are about the size of a two-pound coin come out. Oh, they're so. car and they are the they are the cutest things and what are they what kind are they what are they called so i've got herman tortoises that's the breed that i've got um okay are any of them called herman no <laughs> so most of the adults all begin with tea because i'm a bit obsessive that they have to begin with tea um which is a bit random but yeah the obviously the youngest ones are probably about a month old now and then the oldest one is well over 100 and she's still laying eggs as well <gasps> that is so cool that is so cool her name is triply triply and just give us some of the other give us some of the other names the t names the first one is tekin and i've got Tallulah, tiff Mm -hmm. tilly tulip (laughs) yeah i I literally love it um Honestly, I said if we if it wasn't for coronavirus and it and it wasn't that we lived so far apart, we would be taking to the like yeah. the kid would lo- one day one day because I lo- um Laura took yes one didn't yes, she she's come and got one yeah yeah so she, yes. Laura's got one yeah. and also the um, BVNA junior vice president Joe Oakden has now got one as well so they're gradually working their way into the veterinary oh, field as well that is so funny i absolutely love that okay. really cool i'll get you one for your birthday karen okay um so um the other thing that i had seen that you were involved in that i wanted to ask about was um you spoke at a virtual careers uh, conference um is that right yes um now correct me if i'm wrong that was that wasn't specific veterinary that was actually um a more wider reaching thing yeah. um wh- why how did you come how did you become involved in that and what was what was what 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 did you kind of speak about there so i've done two so far the first one with with okay. a foundation called just a guy foundation and they um were looking to help sort of the youth sort of coming through school and um, because of coronavirus a lot of students haven't been able to do work experience placements that would usually happen every year 
So that was a big missed opportunity for a lot of the students in terms of deciding what they potentially wanted to do in future. So he asked me to speak because there was quite a lot of people who were interested in the veterinary field um, and how they would go about getting into it. So I'd done that talk for, I think they were between sort of 14 and 19 year olds. It was based that. And it was just around what I do as a vet nurse, how you can go about getting into it and any sort of advice and tips in terms of getting into the veterinary industry as well and what what it really involves rather than what people think it may involve. And then the second one I done was the National Health Careers Conference. And that was one that was um, all health, different health sort of careers and how to get into them, again, what we do. And on that one, I was on a panel with the RCVS president and I was also with a zoo vet as well called Justine Shotton and then the RCVS president being Mandisa. Um, and that was quite nice because that was more of a panel. So we were sort of having a bit of a chat between us as well. And we were being asked questions and answering them and stuff like that. So um, I was approached by the BBA president, Daniela, for that one to be involved with because they wanted a vet nurse on the panel and they wanted a bit of diversity in terms of um, that males obviously can be RVNs as well. Um, so because obviously we're not, I think when people, again, they just assume that they're female and various different roles like that. And because they had the females as the vets on there as well, it was quite nice to have the contrast between the two. Um, and the first one I done, I was contacted through Instagram. Um, so that was through obviously what I post as, as a vet nurse. So I was tracked mm-hmm. by that. So. Do you think that, do you think that in your Instagram has, has, has created opportunities for you? Do you think it's allowed you to do things that maybe you wouldn't have done before? Definitely. I think it gives you a platform to show people what you do, your knowledge base as well, and to sort of how you present yourself on them as well. So mine's actually quite mixed. It's not purely vet nursing as obviously the tortoise is on there, um, my niece Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I think it, I quite like the mixed factor that shows that I don't work all the time and I do have a life outside Mm -hmm. vet nursing and that I do have that work-life balance that is possible to have, which I think is quite important to avoid sort of getting burnout and things like that as well so I think that's really true actually and I think that is nice to see that it's not just yeah there is a really kind of diverse picture of your life rather than just being work we even get some we even get some dating commentary oh yeah all the time yeah everybody needs that (laughs) (laughs) so it's it's good to see it's good to see all of that um you um you said something quite interesting there as far um as far as the um Again, um, going back to sort of, you know, you were chosen because you're obviously um, a guy and, and a nurse and actually um, we're trying to kind of show a bit of diversity. I think the interesting thing across the board is that actually whether you're a vet or a vet nurse, the boys are are very much not um, the uh, largest proportion of our, our yeah. industry now, you know, and. There was some there was some vet school years coming through Cambridge. I think one year that were just all female. There wasn't guys yeah. at all. And in my year of vet school, there was only there was ten boys in a year of one hundred. Um, but I think it's it, it's this interesting thing about um, I suppose vet veterinary medicine being a very male uh, profession traditionally. You know, there's this new James Herriot, all creatures great and small thing on Channel Five just now. And it's just very male, you know, and, 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 and traditionally that's, I suppose, just the way it was. But I suppose also a lot of the kind of, um, a lot of the celebrity vets that we see, um, there obviously are female celebrity vets, but 
a lot of them are men too so you know super vet yeah. um uh you know particularly you know some of the the most prominent vets are still yeah definitely boys you know and whether that kind of influences people's um reasoning for thinking that you're a vet and th- you know things like that i suppose that has some um that has some influence i was interested to uh ask you about who inspires you so as far as it doesn't necessarily have to be veterinary but who within the profession do you kind of look up to um and find inspiration from this is probably going to be the same well i don't know if it's the same for most people or not actually there's probably a couple um so i'd say a few years ago or maybe three or four years ago i um looked up to a vet called james greenwood um, who's obviously a vet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I read his article in the Vet Times one day, and that was about, it was actually about coming out, was was what it was about, and in terms of, like, being in the workplace okay. and being openly gay. And that was very prominent mm-hmm. at that time of reading it, and that actually gave me the courage to tell people at work and my boss, because oh. I was sort of like... Oh. I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm just going to come out and say it. But it was it was quite daunting knowing whether it would go down well or whether it wouldn't. So I yeah, just I can remember reading the article. I can remember even sitting in the I was in the lab when I read it, and I was sort of like, oh wow, okay. So I think that was quite a a changing moment in my career. Um, and then sort of seeing other people on social media like uh, there's Jane Davidson, the RVN, um, mm-hmm. who's quite influential in terms of the vet nursing world. And people like Lou, the vet nurse as well, um, yeah, obviously yeah. does quite a lot of work on social media as well. Jane's book I've read as well, which is quite good in terms of studying techniques. So it's quite mm-hmm. nice to see vet nurses obviously pushing themselves forward as well and sort of creating a role model as such for other ones coming through and inspiring other people to come through. And the other one more recently who I got to know at the beginning of the year um, was Katie Ford, which obviously Katie's done her I podcast her. with you guys and, and does a lot of work. So I was in quite a dark place at the start of the year, actually, and spoke to Katie for about an hour and a half on Zoom and came off the Zoom call and felt like a different person. <laughs> Listen, we, wow. she's, she's amazing. I, I, Karen and I, obviously, Karen, we, we recorded uh, that episode together. She really is just a very special person. And I actually, I was on the phone to her today. We were talking about some other thing she's helping you know she just helps us she's so i'm just helpful um yeah she's a good soul oh that's really good to hear she's and she's she really is helping so many people can i ask about i I was interested um you were talking about coming out in the workplace and um it's interesting that so that was still something that you felt might not go down well um yeah in your workplace where you were it was tricky i guess i probably built up in my head that someone's going to say something nasty about it and I just think, I just thought that not everyone was potentially going to accept it. Um, even though I'm sure they already knew anyway, they just didn't want to say anything. Um, but it was quite daunting because I've worked in quite a small workplace. So there wasn't a massive team, which in some respects may seem easier because there's not as many people to tell. But the other aspect is that there's not as many people there. So if you then sort of, if it didn't go down well and you weren't accepted, then it could make your work life quite difficult um, and being a student at the same time it was it was all just um a daunting aspect in terms of being able to tell people really but i've not had a single negative comment since since coming out so 
and then my new workplace that was just that's just who I am so yeah, yeah. and what can I ask when you came out in life was it what what age did you tell your family or friends that you were I was uh, I was 19 okay when I came out yeah so I don't know if that's quite late or quite early but um I just felt as at that point that it was probably the right thing to do rather than having to hide sort of who I was rather than and sort of just not be able to openly talk about yeah. oh, I was if I was going on a date or if I was seeing someone having to be secretive about what I was doing all the time and then even at work sort of people would be like what did you do last night and I'd be like oh I went for dinner <laughs> who with and it's like oh I went on this really terrible date <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um, 19 I don't know 19 is quite um 19 I don't know it just varies isn't it yeah. I think I am um, Karen when did we come out where we were maybe six, 16 17 uh, I wasn't no I was gonna say Karen and I are school friends actually and so we we knew each other and and so we um I don't think it was ever a surprise for lots of people that I was yeah gay um and I d- I've never had that challenge Jack of of um having to really tell people <laughs> tell people <laughs> so um you you know that's never been oh. a problem for me um no uh, scott and i came out to each other yeah that's true yeah yeah we did. in, in yeah. burger king um anyway so <laughs> genuinely that's actually true that's actually true i wanted um i think that's really amazing that that kind of it just shows you that reading an article like that or you know yeah. listening to a podcast where you kind of be where you open up about something I don't think we can ever underestimate the effect that putting stuff out yeah. there can have on other people. And I think, have have you ever had the chance to tell him that that had such a positive effect on yes. you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's I can remember cool. sending him an Instagram message at the time of when I when I read it and, and what I'd done. He responded and since then I've seen him at the conferences and the vet shows and stuff like that. So, which is oh. also like a nice event actually that people mm-hmm. you can then meet the people who you sort of speak to on social media and stuff like that amazing so are you so the <laughs> the balls are does are andy told me that you're some sort of like international like super bowl star are you so <laughs> well i play short map bowls and i've played since i was about 10 so it's about the same era of the tortoise the tortoise um ownership so I was a right weird one at school going to Tortoise Club, owning the Tortoise, and then starting to play bowls as well. This is that I really that really did go down well. <laughs> I don't know how you made it through high school. <laughs> Very cool. How many cardigans did so, you own? <laughs> Look at him with his tortoises and his bowls. Um do you can I do, so do you like um so when you're dating just now, do you is that your opener? What what do you open with tortoises or bowls? <laughs> Why are you still single? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I love it. Right, sorry, so tell us about the balls. So yes, I started playing when I was 10 and played for a couple of years and then, well, as soon as I went, I got absolutely hooked to the point that if mum didn't take me, I would sit at home and cry until until she felt bad enough to take me. Um, this story gets better yeah. okay and then started playing at the local club indoors so we started off playing outdoors initially then we went to play indoors and I much preferred playing indoors so um I then just kept playing for a few years then I got selected to play for Norfolk um oh. so mm-hmm. I was playing for my county and then 
ended up what? getting picked for the England under 21 squad as well. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then played for England 21 for about a year. And then I was selected for the full England squad. So I was playing with the like above uh, over 21s. So it was all, all ages I was playing for. Um, oh, wow. So I played in the British Isles Championships oh, wow. as well. And then more recently, I play in the world ranking events. So there's six oh. world ranking events a year. And they play in places like Sweden and Norway, Belgium, Ireland, and um, oh there's a couple in England as well. And so probably my biggest achievement to date is winning the English what? Masters in 2018. Oh my God, what? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so that was one of the world rank events that I won. Um, and is there cash prizes? The highest. Yeah, I got £500. So I mean... it's it's pretty pretty decent it's not sort of any football footballers players money or anything like that oh, i but, thought um, you were going to say like because you get like a do you not get like a million pounds for winning wimbledon is it, i thought it was going to be like that we probably wouldn't be ch- we wouldn't be having this chat now i think if you'd won a million pounds oh, wow. that's really cool so so um, do you so you you, so yeah, you still um, obviously do that that you're still very actively doing that now yeah that. yeah so it's quite nice to have that outside of work to sort of mm. switch off and just do something completely different and also being able to travel to different places and see different places so the world ranking events are obviously held all over mm. the place and you gain your points by going to them and how far you get so the highest i got was probably a few years ago now and that was fourth in the what? world i was ranked at, at <laughs> oh that point. God, i feel like i feel so. starstruck all of a sudden <laughs> i know and i'm sponsored by taylor bowles who are actually based in glasgow i so. mean yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. I'm actually. Scott, I, I, I know. know. That's really cool. Um, I'm actually. <laughs> that, that I'm really impressed with that. Like you have inspired me to do other things because um, I'm really. I think what you've. That's a really positive message that you're kind of sending out, saying, "I can be a vet nurse, but I can also do and be all these other things." And I think that's very. Uh, very inspiring and I think um, we could all learn a bit from that for sure a couple of questions that we've been asking everyone first of all yeah so first of all actually I wanted to you you, you'd mentioned before about um, you know telling people about the reality of being a vet nurse versus what you think it's going to be and so I'm interested is what you thought a vet nurse was going to be actually what it's like for you do you think that you're you had a a good grasp on the reality of the job or not I think from when I went to work experience it gave me a good insight of actually what vet nurses do I think probably back then that was good six or seven years ago now when I'd done the work experience so I think a lot has probably changed Mm. since then but again it depends on what practice you go to as well because you could go to one practice and see work experience go to another and it'd be completely different so I don't think anyone really knows until they've been doing it for a little while because you think one day's fine but you can then go to work next day and it could be a shift from hell so you can walk in and instantly be hit of the hemorrhagic gastroenteritis smell and have to clean that up sort of every hour or so um so I would say it's probably different as to what I expected, but I did also have a good knowledge base of what. What, what are the parts of the job that drag that drag you down? What What do you get dragged down by? Do you think? 
I'd say sort of if you're in a when I was in a practice and I just felt a bit like a cleaner and putting an IV in was probably as good as it got mm. um so I think a lot of us want to do more so I think when we're sort of doing the just skills that not being utilized to the maximum that we can be I think it's probably what drags me down when I'm sort of doing something that potentially could be done by somebody else um for whatever reason just because then it frees up a registered vet nurse for the jobs that they can do mm-hmm. um so yeah i'd say it's probably the the cleaning and stuff like that that's probably a bit sure. disheartening when you can see that there's sort of appointments stacking up that you can be helping with and things like that sure. so yeah and if you had your uh, time again would you would you still do veterinary nursing or would you choose something else you have to be very honest uh, currently yes but ask yeah. me that again yeah, in five me. years <laughs> i'd say i'm still quite early in my career because i've been qualified two years and i would say that the work that for instance like the bvna are doing and stuff like that and because i'm involved on the yeah. veterinary council with bvna it's quite nice to see the progression in the mm-hmm. pathways that are becoming available so in terms of things not then going stale and you just sort of get mm-hmm. into a, a rut sort of at work and not being able to progress or do anything differently it seems to be getting more to the point now that your sort of postgraduate sort of uh, qualifications can actually mm-hmm. allow you to do a bit more um so that would i would say hopefully in five years time that's still mm-hmm. something that's ongoing and, and if you had um to give one piece of advice to maybe um younger or newly qualified um, or less experienced vet nurses out there what would you what advice would you give them i'd probably just say try and not be scared of what goes on in a vet practice and try and find the area that you enjoy because i think a lot of people i was always i always used to read posts that said find your niche or sort of and and things along those lines and find what you enjoy and for ages at work i was like i don't know what i enjoy i don't i really don't know I, I don't mind anesthesia and, and things like that. That doesn't bother me. Um, but I don't know what I really enjoyed. Then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I do really like ultrasound and emergency and crit- critical care. So it doesn't necessarily come instantly of what you'll enjoy. So take time and try to find all the different areas of, of the job before making a decision. So just to say a massive thank you to everyone for listening. Your ongoing support is truly appreciated. If you're on social media, then pop over to our social media platforms and give us a like and a follow. And for more details about what VTX does generally, then pop over to our website, which is www.vtx-cpd.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.